Hello there and welcome to the Racing Home podcast, brought to you by Women in Racing and Simply Racing, with support from the Racing Foundation and Kindred Group. I'm Naomi Meller, an equine vet and podcast producer, and in this podcast we're talking about work and family. It's challenging being a parent, whoever you are and whatever you do, and it's particularly challenging being a parent when you work in horse racing. It's 24-7, 365 days a year. So how can we best help people manage being both great parents and valued members of the racing family? Following the Racing Home Research Project, in this podcast we'll be exploring ideas around parenthood and career progression and how to do things differently. I'll be talking to trainers, jockeys, physiotherapists and a host of the sport's experts and decision makers about their experiences, their stories and how together we can shape a positive future for all families in horse racing. My guest today is someone that you may well have heard of, and I'm really grateful to her for giving up her very precious and very busy time to join me for a podcast recording. Julie Harrington is the chief executive of the British Horse Racing Authority, as well as a mother to her daughter, Sarah. Julie became a mum very young. She was still at school, in fact, but built her career regardless, making her way through the brewing industry, horse racing and football at the FA, before becoming the CEO of British Cycling, from where she joined the BHA in 2021. I've had the good fortune to chat to Julie about her career previously, and there's a link to that in the show notes if you want to watch it. But here we discussed a whole range of topics to do with work and family. I started by asking Julie about her expectations of the relationship between motherhood and work when she was a child. And when she was growing up, what was her perception of the working world and mothers? What did she see around her? So, I mean, I always thought that everybody worked because I, I think I'm from a, a family of sort of hardworking, working class people. My nana worked in a factory. My mum ran a fish and chip shop. Um, and so while I was growing up, my mum, you know, my mum was always at work because they, they did sort of three shifts, lunch, tea and supper. And so it, it was just not a thing. So my expectation was absolutely that you can be both a parent and, well, it, it was absolutely you can, but I think because quite a, a working class upbringing, it was that you have to. <laughs> yeah, it's really, I find it really interesting to talk to people about what you were modelled when you were young as to what normal is. My mum was a teacher and so when I was little, she was out teaching. What you see your parents doing becomes your own normality, doesn't it? And then that shapes how you think about going into the working world as an employee and then subsequently as an employer as well. Absolutely. And, and I think it wasn't just my parents. It was that sort of entire extended family mm. And your sort of aunties who aren't really your aunties and basically your mum's mates who you call auntie. They, they were all workers. And so it, it was, as I say, just not a thing. I, I don't think in my broader circle we had any stay-at-home mums. And I, I think that was just an, a need thing at the time. The unseen female workforce of the 20th century, particularly post-war and particularly in industrial and rural regions, is rarely talked about. These women were a key part of the backbone of local economies, whether that's in racing, agriculture, industry or otherwise. There was an army of women that just got on with being mothers, being workers, being homemakers, because 
that was what was needed of them and expected of them. Yeah, absolutely. I think the sort of discussion around can you have a career and be a parent is quite a modern phenomena. Uh, and, it, it, you know, it's almost that 21st century problems, really, isn't it? Because the, there were previous generations, I'm thinking of, about my, my, both my grandmothers, who throughout the sort of 40s and 50s, it, it wasn't it wasn't a question of can you have both? It's just you have to have both. Mm. And I can remember talking to my granny. She said, oh, I think I had a month off when I had your mum. And I was like, people would just not really expect that anymore. <laughs> you know, like that's just not what we would anticipate you know I think the conversation's changed hasn't it Julie like you know absolutely and you know my my own my own mum as I said was self-employed and like a lot of people who work in in our sport actually it isn't how long can I have off the question for her was how how short can I have off you know how little um interruption um you know which is quite sad really I I, you know I, I look back and um, I want to put my arm around my mum and just go, oh, poor you that you're thinking, you know, you so need to earn that you're looking at, you know, can I actually get back to work in four weeks? Wow. Yes. We've heard plenty of conversations like this since the Racing Home Project started. Not perhaps, can I get back to work in four weeks, but when will I be okay to ride again? Will I be able to return to full exercise? I don't want to let people down. When might I get back to my normal job or my normal life? These are things that crop up pretty frequently in conversations we have. I mean, everybody's got their own different personal circumstances. And and what you would really hope is people have the luxury of choice. Choice, I absolutely think, is a luxury that if you want to get back because it's part vocation and you need it for your own physical and mental health that you can get back as soon as you're physically able to but not that you know you have to because you you can't pay your your bills if you don't and so I I do think it genuinely is a, a luxury. And what about Julie herself? She was very young when she had Sarah but I wondered whether she took any time what she'd thought about returning to education and life in general and whether she had any of that choice that we'd just been talking about. I am probably an outlier because I was so young when I had my daughter. So I had her when I was um, still at school. Basically, I had to go and do my exams. So it was um, so it, it wasn't a a choice really of am I ready to get back to to work because I was studying. You know, it was obviously very tough at the time. But the juggling for me was more about can I continue my education and parent, um, and that. You know, because of the hours involved in education and holidays, it it was easier for me, I would say, than returning to a full-time job. Um, but yeah, I, I was straight into my A-levels. That's an interesting thing to say, actually, that education is, quote-unquote, a bit less intense than work. And, and actually, you've got holidays, you've got a bit more flexibility when you're in college or university or even school to a degree. You're not there all the time for the same length of time that you would be at work but it's still difficult like flipping out Julie <laughs> you know you've managed to do your A-levels and then build a career on top of that whilst you've got a little person who is relying on you yeah so I, I was a single mum so yeah it was it was probably a really intense 
period in, in my life, as you can imagine. But one of the big upsides of having kids when you're young is you've got you're a kid yourself and you've got a huge amount of energy. And so I look back now and think, oh my God, because as well as parenting and studying, I, I also needed to earn as well. So I'd worked in the holidays. I said earlier that it's a real luxury to have that choice. Looking back, I really would have liked to have spent sort of more time just parenting and having the luxury of being able to have the summer holidays, um, just spending time with Sarah, my daughter. But I had to work because, you know, I, I needed to earn a few quid. And we've talked about your career before. For anyone that hasn't listened to that, if you're interested in hearing about the shape of Julie's career, I'll put a link in the show notes below to our chat that we had for Women in Racing. It was, it's a couple of years ago now. It's a little while back. And you can find a link to that in the show notes, as I mentioned. Julie, as she mentioned, was very young when she had Sarah. And I asked her what it was like entering the world of work whilst also parenting a little person that relies on you at home. I'm 39 now and frequently hear conversations from those around me who are parenting small children about the feelings of guilt, juggling and loss of freedom. For many of us, our late teens and early 20s are a time to cut loose with little responsibility. What was that like for Julie as she grew into the world of work? Um, I, I think I had to grow up pretty quick because I had a young. So even though you would you would hope that your early 20s is pretty carefree, probably wasn't for me. Mm. And so I felt, you know, that I had more in common with older colleagues than younger colleagues. So the sort of younger colleagues who were all like piling into the pub after work or, you know. Having a well, good time. <laughs> yeah, well, work, work is part of their, their social life. I, I had to get, get back to pick her up from nursery or then from, you know, after school club. All my parents had, were, were a great help in terms of that key sort of post-school period. I think the biggest struggle for me probably was, and I hope it is better now with most employers, but I, I read the Racing Home report and, and clearly it is an issue for lots of people who work in racing, where you, you almost feel guilty to your employer more than to your child because now I do remember when I was younger lying because I needed to get away from work and I was I was embarrassed saying I needed to go to to pick up Sarah from something or to do something parenting related because I thought my employer would would think bad of me um, you know and I'm, I, I'm talking sort of back to the early 90s and I think most employers have progressed a huge amount since then but it is that I'm still a great employee uh, I have to you know I have to leave early today because got to take my child to the dentist or something feeling like you're wagging it basically it's so interesting you say that actually because one of the other things that's come up is guilt towards other colleagues who you then feel that you're leaving stuff to because they don't have to leave to pick up your boss is definitely one thing and I think yeah wanting to be seen as still a good employee but also just that not feeling that other people around you feel that they're being taken for granted because you've got to disappear on the school run or pick up from nursery or whatever and that, I think that's probably why I felt like I had more in common with older colleagues because they would also be faced with those sort of you know it's life isn't it I absolutely think things have improved and I think 
before I saw the Racing Home report, if you'd have asked me, what sort of trends do you think would be in there? The cultural expectations that pe- people are carers, people are parents, and uh, you know, being a great employer and recognising that people are people have got lives, and you will have better employees if you acknowledge that and help work around it. I, I would have expected that to be in there. I would have also. I think had a gut feel that particularly in studs and yards, it was harder to 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 find that balance. But I was quite surprised that people still didn't didn't feel they could be open. They didn't think, you know, in 2023 people would still feel that like they had to keep secret their parenting responsibilities. It's that was quite shocking, really. Yeah, it is. And I think I found it interesting in the report because it was something I'd heard from friends working in other industries more particularly that if you can't do it, you can't hack it. You've got to go. But I agree with you that I think it was a surprise and has been a surprise throughout talking to people and certainly in the focus groups where people were able to speak freely and confidentially when they said about how they feel on a day-to-day basis I think the the one the, the phrase that someone used to me was I feel like I'm in a no-win situation all the time. Yeah. And that's really tough to hear when you love the sport and the industry that we work in. It, it is and just the value of a somebody if they can come back to work after a pregnancy just understanding that if we can help support people in their daily lives, whether that's parenting, whether that that's, I've mentioned previously, caring responsibilities, um, that you you get it back, you know, you, you in loyalty, but also even small employers need to run some sort of shift or rotor system. And people being available at different times, maybe, because they've got parenting responsibilities is an option. I absolutely understand the sort of human element of people feeling that their value is going to be questioned as an employee. You really would want people to be able to talk openly about planning a pregnancy rather than thinking, oh God, I've got to keep that to myself because I'm not going to get on as much as I might have done. So I think there's been a real improvement in employment practices. You can see that in racing. I do think attitudinally you feel that people are, are, are trying to make that shift. What you can't get round though is racing like any other business will have people with those biases and we need to be able to call it out. We need to be able to call it out that it's it's not acceptable. And I know it's tough as an employer. You know, if you have a team and you really think you're flying and one of your key team members says, I'm expecting, you're joyful for them, but there is a part of your brain that is going, oh God, how am I going to cope with this? But you cope, you know, and I th- I think most reasonable humans will go, this is great, you're a valued member of the team, really happy for you, we'll find a way to cope and and when you come back we'll make it work we'll make it work exactly I, I strongly believe that being a good employer you know and a decent human being are a USP 
because it, you have that cohesive team and from a, a yard-based and stud-based, I, I think you can walk onto a yard and know that it is a sort of calm environment and it feels like a, a really close-knit family team. The fact that you often have people who return after families or you know they come back in a different role and that there has been that sort of flexibility shown, I think just makes for stronger businesses. Julie and I then went on to chat about those in the sport whose lives go on daily in close proximity to horses, in yards, on a stud or wherever, where people live on site with their families, where horses and foals, in some cases, safely, from a distance, are a part of life when you're little. If you were out foaling something on Saturday night or whatever, there might be kids around. They see the value of work, they see the horses, they understand what it means to work in horses and then they can make a decision about whether that's right for them in the long term or not. I know that we have such a broad church in racing. We have those, you know, more administrative roles. The the team here at the BHA, we've got a real mix between people who are sort of field-based and out in yards and out on course, but also desk-based and analysts. And so you, you have that real breadth and there will be different challenges for each of those roles. The reality is with good communication and, you know, a lot of that starts with a good relationship between somebody and their line manager and, and, and feeling that you can have an open conversation about, I need to finish at X time, but, you know, don't worry, the work will still get done. One thing I was going to ask you about was as you grew into your career, one thing we sort of touched a little bit on there is about feeling that you can ask for what you want or need, which setting boundaries. So how did you feel about asking for what you needed or wanted early in your career and then as that developed? And I was thinking particularly as you grew in your career with regards to travel, because I'm guessing you've traveled a lot in various roles. I think I was really bad at it earlier in my career. I you know, I'm ashamed to say now that I lied uh, and was hiding my parenting responsibilities to make me more attractive as an employee. And culturally, I felt the organisations that I worked in were, were leading me to do that. So I worked in the brewing industry. It was quite a blokey culture that was, you know, a lot of long hours. Like racing, you're sort of working when the pubs are open. <laughs> and socialising a lot of clients, I assume, as well. I can Absolutely. Before, so, yeah. you know, so I think I was really poor at it. Um, and and there's, a, there's a massive layer of stress in then trying to make home arrangements without work knowing that you're trying to make these home arrangements. And probably before, you know, mobile phone technology was what it is now. God, I'm making myself sound like I grew up in the... <laughs> I, I, I just didn't have a mobile... Um, you know, in, in those early days of my career, once you have got a mobile, everything becomes a, a, a little bit easier. Um, but I I think I was, I learned over a period of time and it probably took me having a few good bosses who role modelled that behaviour. So I worked for a guy called Bob Black. He was quite open about saying, Julie or team, um, I'm going to, be leaving at three tomorrow and the reason I'm leaving is you know I want to go to parents evening or sports day or, or whatever yeah uh, um, and 
just letting you know that. And you're like, oh, that's a thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and and so I I think that open leaders, so whether they are you know small businesses, big businesses, le- leaders can actually role model by being open about their own needs and their own juggling, just to show people that I'm a human too. And I you know I've got the kids' dentist appointment or I've got what whatever, and it will encourage other people to be open about their needs and and asking for the support that they need because you know not all bosses are mind readers either you we need to be able to ask for the support we need and I I was really poor at that um I was probably only when I got into my 30s that I, I became a bit better at it if you can't be open with your employer you they're not going to get the best out of you I, I know from personal experience when you are asking at work and just juggling like hell behind the scenes you are going to drop a ball you know because you're juggling so much and you need to be able to to ask for help and and it's better for the employer because then you can go right I know what's going on I can make a plan we can get some cover I can remember when we launched the racing home project so this was back in 2019 we had a launch event in London and I won't disclose the name of the person that said to me, but I could, it was a gentleman who works in racing said to me, do you think it's a good thing that someone has approached me and said, I'm thinking about trying for a baby? And I was like, yes, because for them to be able to tell you that is an unbelievable amount of trust and shows that you have fostered a culture of openness whereby you're not going to say, when are you off, when are you off, when are you off, when are you off? And if it doesn't happen, you're also not going to hold that against them either. And if it does, you'll be delighted. <laughs> and it also allows you to plan for the future of your workforce, which is, those are all just very powerful things, aren't they? Which is rare, so rare. And I was I was a bit shocked in a good way when this person shared that with me. Recently, we've had somebody go for a promotion and share as part of that that they were in the early stages of pregnancy and they were worried that how would we cope if we if, if they were successful that we might have to in the you know first few months of somebody being in a new role work out cover and that they got the job and we worked out cover and it was all fine i was thrilled that they didn't think by sharing that during the process that we'd immediately go, well, they're not getting it. <laughs> off, you, off you, Bob. <laughs> yeah. Whereas actually in the old days, old days in inverted commas, I feel like people would never have been open enough to share that. And I'm thinking back, I've had colleagues who didn't disclose pregnancies until really quite late when you're doing a physical job, not within the BHA. This was a long, long time ago. Um, were, were nervous about their rights. They were nervous about whether they would have to repay previous maternity pay, whether they would be eligible for upcoming maternity pay, whether the boss was just going to say, don't bother coming back, all of these things. And I think the fear around that, and it's one of the things that we've tried to do with getting the portal together, we say that people can just go in there and say, right, okay, so either my employee is pregnant, what, what do I need to do? Or I'm pregnant or I'm thinking about being pregnant. What are my rights? Where do I stand? What do I need to know? And I can see this from both sides. From an employer, it is a layer of, 
you know, additional work or additional plans that need to be made. And in some cases, additional investment. But I absolutely think it is worth it because, number one, 51% of the population is female. And increasingly, we're having male colleagues who are, uh, are saying, actually, I've got needs as well. I, I mean, quite right. <laughs> and that is something we're going to be touching on later in the series. But I think it's just people having that capability to know where they stand with stuff is is really important as we move forwards, isn't it? It, it is. And I think it doesn't need to be combative. You know, if you're a small business and you think of your employees sort of genning up on their rights, it can be quite threatening and, and people might worry that it's it's combative. I actually think if everybody just knows the facts, it helps you navigate your way through in a, in a far more open way. Whereas an employer, you know, you know, what support you can get from, from government for, as an employee, you understand what is available to you, but you can also have a really um, sensible conversation about how you might manage any risks, you know, which is really important, uh, particularly for those horse-facing roles. If, if somebody feels that they have to conceal the early or mid stages of a pregnancy because they're worried about their career, it, it's the amount of risk that they could be exposed to is just so worrying. And so we need to make sure that we've got a culture where both employee and employee, employer knows their rights, can have an open conversation. So, you know, I, I can see both sides of it. Definitely. And I think the bottom line is as well that economically it makes sense for businesses, large or small, for people to come back because actually it's a lot more expensive to recruit and train you know, you can't, having somebody come back who knows the job, who can just slot straight back in again, it's completely, it pays its own way, doesn't it? Financially, culturally, that institutional knowledge and people change through becoming a parent as well. And what I've, what I've found with, you know, because I've been around the block a little bit, but what you do find with employees when they come back, bring a different perspective. Yeah. And often extreme organisation because you've got limited time, you've got to get everything done so suddenly you become like you know <laughs> really quick right I've got three hours this job has got to be done in that time which is mega and actually in a business of any sort any type wherever you are in racing that's valuable I, I was talking to a chap the other day who he's just had a, a period of paternity leave and and he exactly to that point he went oh my god I don't know how I had time to do anything before because now I, I, I run my sort of mornings work like a military operation. You realise how much time you spend faffing in life. Yeah, God, I was waste, spend so much time wasted. Just finally, I'm really conscious of your time, Julie, but um, I just wanted to touch really briefly on, you've obviously worked in other sports, just how you think we're doing and whether we feel positive about the future, both for racing and other sports, how we can work together, what we can learn, what you've taken from working in football and cycling, for example. I, I think... Those athlete roles, I think we can still learn from other sports. Uh, I think there is far more openness in other sports about high-performing athletes coming back and continuing to compete at the highest level post having a family. You know, Sarah Story, for example, in cycling, um, had two mat leaves, 
was actually getting faster, you know, <laughs> and faster, stronger. So I do think creating an environment where our female athletes know that there is a, a, a career post starting a family again it's that personal choice doesn't mean you have to um unlike other sports we have the horse uh, as a factor and the fact that there is an element of risk involved in in our sport so i i do think people's mindsets can change both men and women after becoming a parent so i think we can learn learn more from other sports actually i i think we're doing pretty well people are talking about it openly like any employer group like any sport there will be good practice and poor practice and and i hope that the good employers that that is giving them some competitive advantage and um you know we are continuing to educate employers and support them to do better but also you know continuing to support employees to be open as well so i it feels like we're on the the right path. That's it for today. Thanks for listening and don't forget to follow the podcast to receive all new episodes as they land. It would really help us if you could rate the podcast and leave a review telling us what you'd like to hear about. This is a resource for you and everyone in the industry and we'd love to hear from you. We'll be back in a couple of weeks, so see you then. <laughs>